podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Rio Ferdinand is a massive div. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by my very good friends, Adam and Ben. Ben, you've joined us for the Thursday night club. How are we doing, man? I feel honoured. I feel honored. this feels like an exclusive club, and I've, I've broken through. I'm here now. I've well, got my membership. Welcome in. Welcome in. Um, yeah, it's great to have you here, um, Adam. How are we doing, man? I'm doing quite well. I thought you were going to say something like D I C K then, but um, yeah. Do you know no, what? I thought I'd keep it a bit more PG. <laughs> Do you know what? I was actually shocked by the announcement by Barcelona this evening, which is they're going to make their own brand of shirts which is definitely not a money laundering scheme and it doesn't involve Alvaro Morata so <laughs> it's all good um, but I'm keeping well Rory how is things in Milan? Um, yeah it's all good all good honestly just been like trying so hard not to bite on the bait of Rio Ferdinand I like I find it really odd that he's like he was at some point I think quite a well-respected pundit or at least a not massively derided pundit but every so often yeah. he feels the need to become the most clickbaity fucking football Twitter bedroom lurker and just spout these opinions. And you just are like, Rio, why are you doing it? You're just making yourself look stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, beyond recovering from that video, um, I'm absolutely fine. Uh, <laughs> all good. I know that he's spouting nonsense. Um but yeah, lots to talk about on this week's show, weirdly. Yeah. Uh, lots of midweek action. We've got some FA Cup stuff to talk about. Haaland is back um, and Kevin De Bruyne is back, which is good. Um, we'll be talking about Leeds pushing Chelsea very, very close, but this time Conor Gallagher was the one to save them. Um, and we'll be talking a little bit about Liverpool's kids continuing to get the business done. And we will maybe find some time to talk about Wolves and Blackburn and Newcastle, a great game there. And of course, in Serie A, we had some incredible midweek action. Um, Sassuolo continued to be ass by losing 6-1, somehow getting worse. And then Inter continued their incredible run. And we'll be talking about where they might stand in the pantheon of Serie A history. So, guys, if we're ready, we're going to take a very quick break and we'll come back with the Euro review. Alright, we are back and it's time for the Euro Review. We're going to start with the FA Cup and Adam, which game should we kick off with? We probably Should it be Holland, uh, Holland 5, Luton down 2? Should we start with that? We might as well because yeah, the records that he brought to this match and also I suppose Rory, let's highlight the stat that was kind of touted around Haaland's performance so it's one goal in four prior to this match and uh, if you look at a wider kind of scale it was three goals in nine games so it was a bit of a drought by his standards anyway Um, but he managed to bring in a five-star performance it's fair to say he still couldn't get 10 out of 10 on foot mob by all accounts it's 9.7 I think it was he didn't assist or got tackled for a ball like I don't key. know what he did it's impossible <laughs> yeah. to get 10 yeah. right? what, what do you what does he need to do it was the same with Kevin yeah. Deployne wasn't it 9.6 or something like that probably like he just farted that's what it was so yeah yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, absolutely incredible performance from them. Luton, I don't think they've been shipping that many goals. No. So for the, this felt a bit like out of the blue, right, Ben? All of a sudden, I was like, bloody hell, it did, like the, the floodgates did open. 
Yeah, I think other than against Arsenal, it feels like, especially against the top teams, they've been pretty watertight. And although they've lost a lot of the games, it's been by the odd goal. They lost, I think they drew with Liverpool at home, obviously got turned over at Anfield, but with the way that Liverpool are playing at the moment, that can happen. Um, They they only lost to Spurs 1-0. They lost to Man United 2-1. They lost to City in the league 2-1, I think. So especially at Kenilworth Road, they've been very kind of tight at the back. So it was a bit of a surprise. Um, I mean, when when you've got Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland, it's not because they can do that to any team. Like they'll do it to top teams and they'll do it to teams at the bottom of the table. Um, but City were just on another level. It feels like they've sort of, obviously, kind of despite the Chelsea result a few weeks ago, sort of being the the anomaly. It feels like they've sort of really clicked back into gear again. And obviously, with Haaland back fit, De Bruyne back fit and firing, it sort of reminded me of that game that De Bruyne had against Wolves in the league like a couple of years ago where he scored four. Yeah. Obviously, he assisted four the other night. But it was just one of those things where every single thing that him and Haaland did just came off. And obviously, Haaland against Chelsea a few weeks back had the complete opposite in that game where you know he was missing these very simple chances. The headers coming in from the box from De Bruyne. You know, De Bruyne could have had a hat-trick of assists that day for Haaland, mm. but it just didn't quite, it didn't quite go that way. But there was one of the goals. I think it might have been the hat-trick one or the second one, it was definitely in the first half, where De Bruyne plays the ball through and there's a brilliant angle from behind the goal where you can just see Haaland doesn't even look up. He doesn't even look up until the ball is at his feet and then just dinks it over the keeper. It was just like, you know, City, that sort of side that make you just go, oh, sometimes. Like, they've got that in them. It's just like, they're so, so impressive. And obviously, for Luton, no disgrace at all. I think you could probably tell a little bit by the team selection that they are prioritising the league. Um, And rightly so as well. And, um, but yeah, it was a city were just on another level. They're purring at the moment, aren't they? No, that's it exactly. And I think if you'd have offered Luton like you're going to score two goals before the game, they'd have been like, "Yeah, okay, we'll take that. <laughs> I will absolutely <laughs> yeah. take that." Um, but Adam, it wasn't all good for Man City. Unfortunately, Jack Grealish is having a bit of a terrible season. He went off mm. injured early on in the game. Is it a concern um, this season for Jack? I feel like he might be starting to lose his place in the Euros if he hasn't already lost it. And mm. after such an incredible season for for him at City last year, none of us like to see Jack upset. And he looked genuinely upset coming off the pitch, right? Yeah, he certainly looks like he's a bit devoid of any confidence at the moment. Um, obviously, since last season where he had that kind of spectacular second half of the season, he's completely the opposite. And... Um, I thought Pep kind of got the best out of him last season. I thought he would push on because certainly from Mm. a point of view, when he first came to City, you knew it was going to be a season of adapting to the way Pep wanted to do things, right? Especially with players, he seems to spend time with them to develop their overall game. Um, But it does feel like, and I think this is something that Ben covered off in his TikTok account that, you know, it, it does feel like there's not a lot of love at the moment. And I appreciate that um, Pep's trying to push him. He does try to push these individuals to get more out of them. And I, I feel like at this moment in time, if he doesn't kind of back up his ideas potentially, and I don't think it's not necessarily him. I think you, you almost feel like with him or players of that kind of caliber, like a Federico Chiesa, you, you've got to give him some free will, like free time mm-hmm. to do what he wants to do. And I, I think Pep's very regimented. He wants a lot more than that. He wants them mm-hmm. to kind of come back and do the defensive duties and track back, which he did do last season. But obviously I think the form of players like Doku has kind of taken that shine off him as well. Mm-hmm. I find it odd, the docu thing, because I think what what Pep did was spend a year making Grealish not like Doku, 
to then bring in Doku. And I feel like what Greenish had when <laughs> yeah. he was at Villa was that he could beat a man. He was tricky. He was like yeah. expressive and flair and like. So then Pep goes, no, I don't want that. I'm going to spend a year coaching you to be a very efficient footballer, right? Very good, but you never mm. give the ball away. You win fouls and like you score the odd goal, but your thing is recycling possession. So yeah. he spends a long time doing that with Grealish and then replaces him with a player that, okay, Grealish wasn't as dribbly a boy as Doku, but he had that in his locker. Mm. And I feel like it's kind of weird that Pep went out and replaced him with someone that he stopped Grealish from being. I just find it a really weird transition period. Like, like Ben, how do you feel about? I feel like Grealish has kind of been replaced without needing to be replaced, even before this injury. Yeah, I think it's classic Pep, isn't it? He always likes to sort of spring that sort of surprise mm-hmm. when he's evolving his teams, and I don't think it was something that we necessarily saw coming because when City did their business in the summer, they obviously let go of Mares, and you would have thought, oh, maybe they need a player to come in on the right hand side, and Jeremy Doku. Um, when he was playing in France, it was clear that he could play on both wings, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily anticipate him to come in and take Grealish's spot, even though it felt like, almost in a way, Foden's sort of been bubbling for the last couple of years, and it's felt like, when is he going to get his chance at being a consistent first-team player? And I think Mara's being out of the picture has really allowed him to mm-hmm. shine, but then, then in the same way, has also taken away from Grealish a little bit. And Grealish has been unlucky with injuries as well this year, to be fair. Like, I think he got injured against Copenhagen a few weeks back and this injury was then a reoccurrence of that, which I think is why he was obviously visibly quite upset. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that's likeable about Jack Grealish is that he's always been a player for good or bad (laughs) to kind of, you know, there's no holds barred there, is there? It's just like he kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve and we all love him for that. I don't think, I think there's probably something a little bit wrong with you if you can't bring yourself to like Jack Grealish. Seeing him on the bench the other night was a little bit, it wasn't nice. Like it wasn't, you know, you want, you don't want to see that. And I think on the kind of reverse of that, in terms of bringing it back to his football ability, Jack Grealish is, you know, that's why when you rewind to the Euros in 2021, there was such this clamour for him to play um, because people want to see him lighten up the pitch. And mm. that's exactly what he did at Aston Villa. Um, and like you said, I think he can do the same things that Doku is ne- is being asked to do in terms of his role because mm. you've seen Jack Grealish's I sort of always used to refer to, and still do now, like someone like Bukayo Saka feels like, because if, if, because of his age and um, you can tell by his his principles and his personality, he's like a tactical sponge. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why Arteta's got the best out of him and he's sort of adapted to any role um, and, and flourished. And I feel like Grealish is the same. Um, so it was a bit of a shame to see Grealish almost have his wings clipped a little bit mm-hmm. over the last couple of years at City. But like you said, it almost like, it's almost like the Villa Grealish sort of came back out a little bit of in him last year. But maybe that was just more prevalent in the numbers because I think that when you actually watch his style, although there were some goals where he was like he was bursting into the box yeah. and he was being aggressive and making things happen, you know, his style of play was exactly kind of like you said. What he was being asked to do the previous year when people kind of thought that it was a bit boring and they weren't getting the best out of him. But last year, just because he added more goals and assists to his game, it felt like he was mm-hmm. he was back. And... It's just he's just thought of the he he's one of those players that you just want to see him playing at the top of his game and I think he's been a bit unlucky as well in the sense that when actually when Grealish has been out of the team I think Doku has gone off the boil a little bit in yeah, recent yeah. weeks and I think the only thing that Doku has actually got over Grealish is his explosiveness because mm-hmm. I think if you if you add the pace and the power to Grealish from Doku I think you've got a very similar yeah. player mm. um, I think Grealish is unfortunate thing sometimes is just his body he had a sort of a poor injury record at Villa a little bit yeah. as well didn't he and, yeah, yeah. 
his body's let him down in that aspect. So it's, it's, it's a sad one because I don't want him to miss out on the Euros. I actually think he probably starts for England in our best team on that left-hand side. I think oh. people sometimes get a bit too, not worked up, but a bit too focused on the fact that you need pace, pace, yeah, pace. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, I think, I think you've got definitely got to find a way to start Foden in that team, whether it's on the left or whether mm-hmm. it's in that number 10. Um, whether you play Bellingham there or not. But I think Grealish, people say that he slows the game down, but I think that's because he's got so much game intelligence. And I think when he's got that relationship with Shaw down that side for England, it really, really works. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you've got the power and the explosiveness and the pace of Saka on the other side. So I think he offers that balance. So I think he would be a massive miss for England if if this is his season sort of curtailed. So it is a shame, but I mean, with City, they've got the you know, the embarrassment of riches to sort of be able to mm. cope without him, which is just a luxury not many other football clubs have. No, well, this is, yeah, I feel sorry for Jack. I don't feel sorry for City, right? I think there's yeah. like a yeah, massive exactly. difference. Um, but speaking of England's uh, spaces opening up, um, Adam, I'm kind of joining the campaign for no Jordan Henderson, Ross Barkley, right? Yes. Let's just get Ross Barkley in the England squad. I think he is in fantastic form. If we're looking mm-hmm. for players who can come in with a kind of individual kind of profile in that midfield, maybe later on in a game, able to beat a man, find a decent pass. He's having yeah. an incredible season, right? And I think he's got a, he should have a shout at being called up, right? He's been called yeah. up by Southgate in the past, a long time ago. Sure. But do you think yeah. there's a realistic shout at that? Because I think he's honestly been, well, he's been one of the best players in the league this year, like form-wise. I think if he carries on with the form that he's displaying right now, there's definitely a shout for him to be considered. Because if you look at the players that, could be in consideration the likes of Jordan Henderson, for example, or Calvin Phillips in that centre spot. They are admittedly different types of players, but I think if you're talking about someone that's different, that can bring you an impact to the game. And it feels like at the moment that Southgate isn't too sure about the likes of, say, James Madison, Eberichia Ize as well, in those players that could play a very similar style of format then I think you've got someone in Ross Barkley that knows the setup quite well. He knows a lot of the players that are in the England setup as well. So he knows the expectations mm-hmm. of what you need to be there and what you need to deliver. And I think, yeah, he's the type of player that's very clever. He's very, you know, when he's got the ball at his feet, he knows what to do and what to kind of drive forward with. And I think he gets the Southgate philosophy as well. So I think mm-hmm. it's a no-brainer, but it, it will be subject to, I think, what Southgate decides to do with those players that don't play on a regular basis and whether he still sees them as his kind of reliable 11 or mm. squad players in that respect. Because I think this kind of, I don't know, loyalty that he seems to have for these players, I feel are starting to hinder the England squad at large. Now, this mm-hmm. season in particular, you're starting to see a lot more pockets of these players that aren't playing regularly. And you just get this feeling that he will call them up. Unfortunately, he will try and call them up. And that is so frustrating, I think, for most England fans. But realistically, if you're a manager that's basing it on form and performances, then Ross Barkley deserves a shout. I mean, I mean, would you fit him in the first 11 or would you put him as a squad player out of interest? No, I'd have him in the squad. I think it's just as an option. He's a very sorry. If you hit my dog Do knocked I? over my water bottle, but anyway, um, the the um, I'd have him as an option on the bench. Um, I think he's just an alternative. If a game like you know in the group stages is a game hard to break down, mm. we're struggling to get through. Midfield's looking a bit a bit tired. You can bring him on as a creative spark and someone for the last 15, 20 minutes. I think he'd just be a good option to have there. Mm. And as you said, the experience he's got. Um, I think it could be it could be interesting. Obviously, 
we all know we're not actually going to see him there and it'll be Calvin Phillips and Jordan Henderson anyway. But it's a nice it's a nice thing to think about, maybe. Um, but let's leave uh, that game there for now, I suppose. Um, and let's talk about... I said, Ben, you called it right. You said Chelsea had squeezed through. I thought Leeds uh, would get past it, but you were right. Chelsea did squeeze through. Conor Gallagher in the 90th minute. Um, it's good that there's one player who gives a shit about Chelsea, right? And Conor Gallagher yeah. is clearly <laughs> that player, right? Yeah, I actually, I mean, I hate Chelsea, but I actually felt a bit sorry for Gallagher on Sunday yeah. because yeah. he, I mean, he missed a couple of really, really important chances that could have won in that game. There was one that he was really unlucky with where he hit the post, but there was one where Kelleher came out and made himself big that he probably should have put that away. And then that wins the game. And Pochettino is kind of vindicated because there's been so much talk about that. Um, but like you said, <clears throat> he is, I think there's a number of Chelsea players where you can't necessarily, despite the money, you can't necessarily question their commitment. And I think Palmer is certainly one of them. And I think Gallagher definitely is because of the way that, because of how industrious he is, industrious he is on the pitch, it kind of comes out in his character sort of comes out in his style of play because that's his job in the team. Um, I've always been super impressed with Gallagher. I know he divides opinion a lot. And obviously as a Spurs fan, there's been constant links for, for him to come to us. And, since his Palace days, since his West Brom days, he's always been mm. someone that sort of kept an eye on. So, um, and the way he sort of took the goal as well, it felt like a bit of a moment for him because, especially off the back of what happened on Sunday, um, you know, Stamford Stamford Bridge is one of those grounds that produces sometimes those moments when players actually really need them. I kind of think about like Torres and Werner mm. sometimes having that sort of struggle, and then it's just like one goal really sort of lifts everything. And you know, but it was. Chelsea were really poor. Like they were much poorer than they were in the in the cup final. When I, I know sort of Poch has come out swinging off the back of that, and I think he's got every right to do so because you know he sort of spoke about and he it did he did hit back at Neville. And I actually think as much as I think that line was iconic um, and at the time incredibly funny, yeah. and it was sort of you know it was it was thought out and I felt rehearsed brilliantly. But at the same time, we all loved it, but. I think in the cold light of day, I actually think it's quite damaging and pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. And I think that Jamie Carrigan nailed it on Monday Night Football. Um, and bear in mind, like he's sort of talking about his colleague and he didn't slag off Neville or anything. He just sort of said, those labels stick. That will stick with Chelsea until they win something big, which with this current version of this Chelsea team, that seems quite a long way away. You know, they're, on their day, they're a, they're a very good side. I thought they were very good against Liverpool for large portions mm -hmm. of that game. And it's in it's been in the big games where they've shown how good they actually can be, but it's in games like this where it's like I know Leeds. I watched Leeds Leicester on Friday night, and Leicester were the much better team, and Leeds came away with a win. And but I've still been impressed with Leeds whenever I've watched them, and you know they're always going to bring that tenacity and energy, whether it's the Bielsa teams, whether it's the Jesse March teams, mm -hmm. and now this version of the Leeds side, which I think will will come back up. They were just they were just too good for Chelsea for large periods of that game. I know Chelsea had a sort of a bit of a purple patch in the first half where they got back in front and or got in turned it around and got in front. Um, but they were very poor, and I think a lot of Chelsea fans who I think actually felt sort of I think there was a real split in the Chelsea fan base on Sunday because Chelsea fans, not to stereotype, aren't notoriously known for being the ones that are going to trust the process and back the manager mm -hmm. because they don't employ those kind of managers. They're not that sort of club. They're a, they're a team that will take an FA Cup if they finished 12th. As long as they've won the FA Cup, yeah. it's a great season for them. So, But I do think there's a, a sort of almost a younger generation of Chelsea fans that are sort of coming through now that sort of can see the positives in that and say, you know what? 
we did play well. We were unlucky. And, you know, on another day, Gallagher puts that in and it doesn't hit the post. And that's sort of what Poch alluded to after the game. He almost, I think he said the line that we almost created too many chances. Mm-hmm. And even though that sounds bizarre, I kind of get what he means. Like, I do get what he means. And, um, but it was in these games which really let him down. And it's just, although they went through, I think there, the Chelsea fan base were la- more, I think, from what I've seen anyway, were far more largely disappointed with yesterday, even though they got through in that manner than they were on Sunday, yeah, which yeah. is a weird place to be. That's not where Chelsea fans usually are. So well, I think fans yeah, they, now more broadly are more able to analyze performances and see that yeah. like the, a performance can still be alarming even if you win, right? United <laughs> fans should know, right? But like yeah. you could still look, you could come out the ground and go, bloody hell, we got away with that. Like we are not a yeah. good team, but I'll take the win, right? So I think fans in general are more able to kind of recognize that now. I thought, yeah, Leeds obviously on a fantastic run of form. I think it's nine straight wins in the league. Um, Daniel Farker got them playing incredible football. Like Adam, they came very, very close. And it was um, Matteo Joseph, his first two goals for the club. Um, Incredible scenes, the limbs in that Leeds end. I think the the limbs at Stamford Bridge away end always look the best. It's the best limbs you'll ever see. But with Leeds thrown in there as well, it looked incredible. Well, I think it's nice to see him doing well because I think at Norwich... Like Norwich, I feel like you could have put Pep in there and they still would have gone down. It's just the law that Norwich have to go down. When they come up, they yeah. have to go down. That's just the way it is. So but so I felt like always quite sorry for him. But at least I feel like he's doing really, really well. He's got them he's got the fan base enthused again, which is like once you've got Ellen Road excited and on your side, then it's a really terrifying place to go. And I think like Jesse Marsh never had that. The second, obviously following Bielsa, whoever it was, is never going to have that. But you could tell yeah. that the, the apathy was just through the roof. It wasn't working. And just having this restart. And I think him as a manager, he's really got the club and really tried to ingratiate himself with the fans and be like, I know what this team is about. I know what you fans want. And it feels like he's really he's really bringing it. So it's really good to see. I am one of the few neutrals who really like Leeds United, and I think they need to be in the Premier League. Um, I'd rather well. have them, like a team them. that everybody hates, than a team that no one gives a shit about. So I think I really 100%. want them in the league. I'm always delighted when they're doing well. And a player I was really happy to see, and I forgot he was here, was Ethan Ampadu. He had a kind of weird career in Serie A where he played relatively well but got relegated every time so he played at Venezia and then at Spezia um so obviously going back to his uh, childhood club right he started out uh, started out at Chelsea right um yeah. and I thought he played really well and it's good to see him again just building his career because I think when you're in when you're with two clubs and get back-to-back relegations, that can kind of leave a bit of a stain on your kind of reputation or on what people think of you. But I think him coming back to Leeds and playing really well, I was just really happy to see it because he's a player I've always quite liked. Um, I think technically he's very good. Um, and he's always like pretty strong on the ball and stuff. So I was pretty happy to see him doing well. But for Leeds, yeah, they'll be delighted with two two goals at Stamford Bridge, I think. Obviously, they'd rather have won, but there's bigger things for them to focus on for now. Um, let's leave that one there, and let's talk about a proper cup tie. Um, the Alan Shearer derby as Blackburn Rovers won, Newcastle won. Newcastle goes through on penalties. Um, ben, this was a proper, like, ding-dong. It was end-to-end. It was Blackburn looked like the Premier League team. It was incredible. Yeah, it was such. It just felt like such an FA Cup tie. That was mm. kind of the only way to describe it. Really, it was. It was great. Blackburn were really, really good. Sammy Smodix, um, obviously, unfortunately, missed his penalty in the shootout, didn't he? But he had a really good game. Um, took his goal pretty well. Arrived in the right place. 
And they, like you said, they made themselves look like the Premier League team. And I think, you know, those midweek games in the FA Cup sometimes, you need the sort of fans to carry you through. And it does feel like Blackburn, have obviously, as a club, to say they've been in a state of flux has been a bit of an understatement because they have been in some really dark places, even though they've not dropped out of the championship, I don't think, have they? They've been in the championship the whole time, but they've just... Yeah. What did they do? Did they go down to League I One? I think they might have been in League One for one season, maybe. One season, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. But, you know, they've not quite had it as bad as some of the other clubs, but they've been terribly ran for a long period. Um, and it sort of feels like there's something to be excited again about Blackburn. And again, they were sort of always that team in the Premier League when I was sort of growing up that, you know, had these sort of maverick kind of players like Morton Gamps, Patterson and Two Guy that you sort of just thought there's something there to get behind with Blackburn. And it was just like, so it's good to see them competing at that level and taking a Premier League side all the way. And especially a Premier League side that are the richest club in the world, basically. And I know Newcastle fans won't like people saying that because they'll actually say, no, we're not. And we can't spend all this money, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Blackburn were, were super impressive. And to take a Premier League side to penalties, and it's a lottery that can happen. I mean, I've been there as a Spurs fan. We went out to Sheffield United last year. Those FA Cup ties are horrible. Yeah. And with Chelsea, like it's sort of, it's, it's kind of different with Chelsea because of the run they've been on. But Newcastle have been on a really poor run as well. Like really, really poor, obviously off the back of playing Arsenal on Saturday, had the pants pulled down. I'm embarrassed really. They were played off the park. Um, so they would have been licking their wounds going into that. And there's something about a midweek FA Cup game at a championship side that you know are going to be competitive. And I know Chelsea were the home team against Leeds, but Chelsea would have been feeling the same thing. Bear in mind, there's that rivalry with Chelsea mm. and Leeds. That is not the game you want to play, especially after either losing the cup final or Newcastle. For them, it's not the sort of game they want to play off the back of a drubbing on Saturday and a really poor run of form that's seen their manager well, maybe not in the media sense, but I think a lot of people from the outside are looking at it and thinking, well, why isn't yeah. he not kind of getting the same level of criticism that maybe Pochettino mm -hmm. or Ten Hag is getting? Um, but Newcastle got the job done. They did look the more composed team in the penalty shootout, I think. Like Smodix with the penalty, sort of. It just, he was amazing all night and he's been on fire in the championship this season. Um, but he just, he didn't look confident with the penalty. I hate no. that sort of straight run up and the little stuff. Like, it really, as soon as I see player for, for Spurs or whoever it is in a penalty shootout going up especially when you're emotionally attached to it with that sort of kind of run up and you're just thinking oh here we go like, you just don't feel confident they're going to score you can look at someone sometimes and just think they're not going to score mm -hmm. and that that unfortunately happened to him And but you know Blackburn they can count themselves unlucky Newcastle can sort of count themselves lucky to get through but I think they were professional enough to get the job done Dubravka who's coming for a lot of criticism stepping up and effectively winning them the game with the shootout um so Newcastle will be pleased with that because I think if they can get to an FA Cup semi-final, maybe, I can't remember. They've got City away though, haven't they, in the next well, round. So that's going to be incredibly tough. This is it, right? Um, and Eddie Howe came out and said, we need the FA Cup. We need to have a run in the FA Cup to give us some confidence heading into the Premier League. And it's like, well, it might not be not here sure for much that. longer, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a bit of an unfortunate draw, that. But for um, an Irish point of view... Um, I'm always really excited about um, Sammy Schmodzic. Well, I've been really excited about old Sammy because he's been killing it for Blackburn for a few years. And I keep having to remember that he's got Irish citizenship. And I'm like, why isn't he getting a call up to the Ireland squad? I feel at some point he needs to be getting a call up for as a reward for this form because he's been consistently very good for Blackburn. And also the player in midfield for them, um, Moran, um, He's on loan from Brighton and is the next kind of hot youth product to keep an eye out for Brighton. Like Ben, were you excited to see him? Every time I've seen him, he looks so technically brilliant. 
yeah, at such a young age as well. There's been a lot of hype around him, and he definitely delivered the other night. It's been they, you know, I feel like Blackburn. Obviously, they've produced a lot of their own talent with, oh, yeah, with uh, with Wharton, obviously uh, coming through and going to Palace. It feels like they've had a lot of kind of these exciting players. Obviously, Brenton Diaz a few years ago as well. Like they've they've kind of been a good whether it's through their what they've produced or whether it's players that they've sort of brought in to nurture like Moran from Brighton they've they've kind of got an eye for that mm. it feels like with Blackburn and it's kind of surprising to see that you know it's good they've, it feels like they've become very stable mm-hmm. but it feels like they're just maybe one or two of those players away from then trying to push towards to be in the playoffs and etc but the thing is the championship is such a you know it was one that we always say it like it's a league that will swallow you up yeah. so it's, they've done well actually to I think to be that kind of stable but it just feels that like there is an opportunity for them to kick on and if they keep being able to bring these kind of young players in then there is a chance for them to do that because sometimes in the championship a window will just open up for someone yeah, yeah. it will open up for someone the playoffs and that's so unpredictable we've seen it before we're like villa for example were like 15th and then uh dean smith came in and it was they were they won the playoffs it's like these th- stranger things can happen in the championship and sometimes it's just about going on that run it's all about momentum so you never know like blackburn if they can sort of continue to bring these kind of players in and nurture mm. them, then they, they could be that sort of surprise side that gets back up. Yeah. Um, I think so we yeah. just, the, the also like quickly before we move on to this, just to give a little bit of like, because there was a protest in, in the 14th minute um, mm. where the Blackburn fans, some Blackburn fans threw some tennis balls onto the pitch. It was like 20 tennis balls. I think they need to, not to laugh at a protest, right? But like try, I don't know, maybe yeah. a few more tennis balls next time. But <laughs> they're obviously not happy with the Venkies. And I think that it kind of goes to the point that you made there, Ben, is that the point is, is that they're not kicking on. They're not taking that extra thing. Like the owners are quite happy for them to just be in the championship. Just that kind of passive investment, like a terrible property lord and just collecting that money and i feel like there is a bit of frustration amongst the fans but it's a bit mad with the venkies because i expected it to be much more much more unstable than it has been it does still feel like weirdly stable kind of like a benign dictatorship like there's no real damage but nobody's really happy either it kind of feels a bit weird so i think yeah for blackburn fans they're getting a little bit frustrated at that but a, a very good performance from them a, a nice moment for Newcastle to get through to the next round of the cup. But Adam, I don't think they'll be going much further as they've just drawn City. And elsewhere in the FA Cup, just to wrap up super quickly, Coventry did end the fairy tale for Maystone United winning 5-0. Leicester with a bit of an upset, I suppose, um, winning 1-0 away to Bournemouth. A big win there. Enzo Maresca doing incredible stuff there. Another exciting Italian coach. Um, Manchester United beat, beat Nottingham Forest 1-0. Thank God there was no extra time in that game. That was a bloody terrible game. Um, Casemiro at the death. The highlight was definitely Fernandez being held by the throat, right? Incredible. He looked like he was going to cry. He was amazing. Um, Liverpool beat Southampton 3-0. Ben, you wanted to talk about this quickly with um, Dan's continuing to impress. Yeah, that finish for his first goal was quality. And then the way he sniffed out the second chance as well. I know it was a fairly simple finish, but just being there. And I think, again, it sort of speaks to a lot of the stuff we talked about on Sunday with Klopp giving these young players the platform to go and, you know, take the pressure off and go and perform. Obviously, it was kind of the tale of the Suns with Dans and Kumas as well. Kumas mm-hmm. getting his first goal on his first start. So it's been a bit of a fairy tale kind of week for Liverpool. And um, I think it's left their fans. Although so I, ju- I just saw a tweet just now that said it was from a Liverpool fan saying 
that was the last ever FA Cup tie that Jurgen Klopp will manage at Anfield. And then I think it brings them back down to like that thing of just like, oh, you know what? We're really well set up for the future. Klopp's doing his best to kind of give these young players chances, exposure to first-team football, whatever happens to them further down the road, because there's no guarantee that these players are going to go on and be established first-team regular players. But the most important thing in football as a fan is to have that feeling, you know, the feeling that you're going somewhere, that there's something to believe in. And I think that sort of speaks true to some of the clubs that we touched on earlier, a bit like Leeds, where Mm -hmm. with Farker, it's like, as long as you can see you're going in the right direction and you're playing the good football, and it's like you want something to just get behind. Um, And Liverpool have always had that with Klopp, but it's just the fact that the next period for Liverpool is uncertain. So they Mm -hmm. want that, they, they feel like they're sort of getting that bit of, stability um but they were impressive Southampton impressed me as well like another yeah. championship side just like Leeds who gave as good as they've got although the scoreline didn't reflect that as well for Southampton as it did for Leeds um I don't think 3-0 was necessarily fair Southampton had a bucket load of chances in that first yeah, half yeah, yeah. and I think that then is the problem with Liverpool that the fact that their team sheet was you know unrecognizable Liverpool obviously other than the fact that these some of these kids got chances on Sunday um, it was Van Dijk at the back, but Southampton had a marginal offside, disallowed goal as well. They sort of were getting in behind them for fun. Um, and I can't remember who it was. There's the Southampton left winger. His mm-hmm. name escapes me now. He was there last season in the Premier League as well, had a multiple chances, um, but just couldn't finish. And Liverpool's sort of goal was being peppered, but they sort of, a bit like on a bit like on Sunday, the young lads found their feet, composed themselves, and and got them over the line. That that's that finish from Jaden Dams was Sulemana was the player that I was talking about. Sulemana, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, real composure. And it was just a, a, an amazing moment for him at Anfield in front of a packed house and a set of fans that love what Klopp is doing right now, even though the future is, you know, is, it looks different for them. So mm-hmm. um, I was impressed with Liverpool, but impressed with Southampton as well. I think we've sort of, we, I mean, we didn't really touch on Leicester, but obviously that was a massive result for them as well. Some really impressive players. And it was Fatale getting that goal. Mm-hmm. You know, Leeds, Leicester and Southampton will probably all come back up. Yeah, that yeah. that playoff place is going to be tight, but um, they will probably all come back um, with maybe the three promoted teams from last season all going down. But um, no, they're super impressive, super impressive uh, Liverpool, but also, yeah, fair play to Southampton. I thought they gave as good as they got, really. Yeah, really, really good performance from them. But again, yeah, quality told at the end. And I did want to very quickly say a bit of an FM update on my crew save Trey Neone uh, the 16 year old that came on for Liverpool he has just got me promoted to the championship um, with the Alex so I was very excited to see him come on I was like you know the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the telly I was like oh oh, that's him that's (laughs) him Um, and he's yeah he's been fantastic but Liverpool won't give him back to me the bastards Uh, but yeah very exciting player so I was very excited to see him Um, and finally Wolves winning 1-0 against Brighton. Lamina in the second minute, lying down and scoring a goal, taking the piss. Um, And Gary O'Neill, how much more can we talk about Gary O'Neill, Adam? Um, They are pushing for Europe and they're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Nobody saw this come in the day before the season started. No, no one saw this happening. And I think we were guilty of essentially saying that there'd be relegation favourites in mm-hmm. this kind of season. Oh, yeah, I, I think he's do. done a yeah, phenomenal yeah. job in that respect. And the fact that he's getting them into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup is just unreal. It must be a surreal experience for their fans, especially given the context of, I think they've been unlucky on many occasions due to 
refereeing decisions as well. So surely they could be potentially even higher in the league based mm-hmm. on some of those decision making. Um, but yeah, superb season. And the fact that he's galvanized this squad to kind of have this resilience is absolutely amazing, Rory. So absolutely brilliant for them. Brighton, just as all uh, as often happens, just a bit guilty of wasting chances, not quite able to find that cutting edge. But it does mean that the FA Cup semi-finals are as follows. Uh, quarterfinal, sorry, we have Man City taking on Newcastle, Leicester t- uh, Chelsea hosting Leicester City, Wolves hosting Coventry, and what I'm going to call the derby, pretty sure that's a Midlands derby, and Man United Liverpool. I'm really looking forward to that one. Um Good. So we're going to leave the FA Cup there, guys. I think we're going to take a very quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk all things Serie A. See you on the other side. My name is David Artel, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian pod. Ciao, bentornato. Welcome back. It is time to talk about all things Serie A. And there were some games in hand to catch. And it started at the San Siro with La Dea in pretty good form, turning up to take on Inter. And of course, they were roundly battered 4-0 as Inter continue their run of scoring four goals in a game. This time, not conceding a goal, the defence looking super tight. And of course, Lautaro Martinez getting his goal. Di Marco getting the rebound. Um, Darmian opening the scoring. And of course, Fratesi at the end getting the goal to put the icing on top. But Adam... How many more ways can we describe impressive performances by Inter? It's, yeah, the superlatives have stopped to kind of exist, right, with this Inter squad because they're just setting records at the moment, Rory. And I suppose to an extent it was almost fortuitous that they had a decision go in their favour because there was that kind of first goal by De Ketelea that was ruled off um, just because there was a judged handball, which was... Kind of, yeah, just fortuitous at that very moment because I think if that goes in, that might change the kind of whole um, approach for the game itself. But Mm -hmm. Inter, uh, there's a mad stat about Inter that they've only been behind 36 minutes in total the whole season in terms of being a goal behind. So that is like just how the stats start, I suppose. We've got some more, Rory. I'm sure we'll be calling them out. Um, But if you're talking about like clean sheets, obviously that's a 17th clean sheet. They only need four more in 13 more games to uh, kind of be level with the all-time records. The likes of Gigi Buffon set this record as well more recently. So, And even Providal, even last season, set a record of 21 clean sheets as well. So that'll be one hell of a record. And uh, Jan Sommer has already got 16 of those. Um, So that's crazy. And then you've got things like that they've gone the seven whole games without losing. Um, That's the best in any Serie A season. Um, But yeah, if we go back to the game itself... Really superb performance. They really did have some clinical finishing on the night. I mean, even Lataro's goal just from distance, mm-hmm. that was incredible from him. Uh, Fratesi starting to come up and contribute a lot more as well. So you saw that finish from Alexis Sanchez as well for that through ball into the box. I mean, this, this is still, when you think about it, they're still without Marcus Turam. They're still without Chalanoglu, who's out potentially yeah. for three weeks uh, with a thigh injury. Um, they're hoping it's not more severe than that. Um, so, yeah, and this is a Atalanta side that did well over the weekends. I mean, admittedly, they didn't really perform to their very best, but they still were a team that you would say 
ain't going to be easy for um, Inter. And they still pulled it out the back. So fantastic result for Inter. Um, I do feel sorry for Karnaseki because of all of those goals and efforts, he didn't stand a chance. Even the penalty, he saved it, for goodness sake. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, no, well, he's turned into a bit of a penalty specialist. Eh? He's doing very well exactly. from the spot. Exactly. So fantastic effort from, from him. But yeah, superb from Inter. And I think they're going to set more records as the weeks mm-hmm. go on. Right, Rory? Well, it's, it'll be interesting to see. They currently have Juventus's 102 point record uh, in, in in their eye in their eyesight. They can get there, mm. but the moment that everyone's talking about, because they are now 12 points clear, if results go their way and if they continue in this run of form, they could win the league in the Milan derby in Milan's home game and get the second star in front of their di- their most hated rivals. Um, it would be the biggest moment in Milan derby history, I think, if that happened. No, it just would mm. be. Even the it Champions League semi-final last year felt obviously monumental. But that, if it get, if it came down to that, um, it would be the biggest moment. And of course, it would have to be Chalonoglu who scored the goal. That would be the stipulation. It would have to be Chalonoglu who scored the winning goal. Um, but Ben, I wanted to talk to you about, because I think there's a lot of comparisons now being made about Inter and Napoli last year. Now, I, when I, I looked at Napoli's... Um, how they were after 26 games um, this uh, last season. And they had, they'd had they lost two games where Inter have, have lost one. So they'd lost to Inter and Lazio by this point. Um, they'd scored 60 goals. Inter have currently scored more. And they've conceded 14. Inter have conceded less. And they were on one less point. Now, I was thinking about, but last year felt so much more exciting for Napoli, right? It felt like, oh yeah. my God, Napoli are tearing it up. But I think that's kind of because it was Napoli. We just didn't expect it, right? We were like, where the hell's this come from? Should people be more excited about this inter this inter performance across the season? Because as we just said, they seem to be breaking all records at the moment. I think I think you kind of nailed it with the Napoli thing. It was a lot about feeling, wasn't it? Because Napoli haven't done it in mm. so, so long. And I think whatever you sort of, you know, obviously there'll be people in their, their rivals that really don't want them to, to do that. And it's kind of, you know, funny to sort of point at them and say, well, you haven't won a thing in ages. You haven't competed. Well, you've always been that nearly kind of team, a team full of stars. You sort of think back to 10 years ago with Lavezzi and Higuain and those kind of players. They've always been that nearly kind of team, Napoli. Um, so last year felt special because it was just like, they're going to do it. There was that constant thing every week. It was like, they're actually going to do this. They're going to do it. And I think the outside footballing world, outside of the Serie A, we're kind of looking at that as a story because Napoli is sort of that club that for, for you know, for say for, for English fans, for example, who don't really have a dog in the fight, who have grown up loving Italian football because of, you know, the 90s and everything like that and how well it was sort of broadcast over here and people fell in love with Italian football, whereas... In the last five or ten years, that that love has sort of definitely dwindled, mm-hmm. and I think we talk about this all the time with sort of the uh, the perception of someone like Daltaro and the respect. I saw someone else tweet it the other day about the, he doesn't get the respect he deserves, mm-hmm. and I think the league doesn't necessarily in general. And I think that's why it almost felt like a massive story for Na- Napoli because it got more eyes back on it, back on the league from people who had maybe taken less a, a kind of a backseat yeah. in their interest of it um, because it felt like a throwback, and that's mm-hmm. what exactly what it felt like, especially in the kind of the way they played and awesome end leading the line and Kravat Scalia, it just felt so exciting and so kind of just like it's dynamic, incredible side. But I think the difference is, 
you always got the sense that maybe I don't, I'd never saw how Napoli were going to kick on mm. and make it a kind of a dynasty and almost like a have that longevity at the top. Whereas this, there's something inevitable about this Inter side. I know they've obviously they won the title back in 2021. Yeah, was it 2022? 20, 20, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then obviously um, it was Napoli, then Milan. Oh no, Milan and Napoli. But mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it was yeah. So um, you know they haven't done it in a couple of years, and even that for Inter, that it kind of felt the same at that time because it was like Inter haven't won it in ages, and there's yeah. sort of been Juventus dominating the league, and I think there was almost that nostalgia that came back into it, and it was like it was great to see Inter back competing where they were, and again sort of on the same level with the Champions League this last year. Although I think a lot of people. Weirdly, I think it went the other way last year with Inter in the Champions League. So I think it, the fact that they got there, people were questioning how, and it was almost more people turning their noses up. Yeah, yeah. Bizarrely, it felt incredibly strange, and there wasn't this recognition of this this great side. But I think you watch the way they've played this season, and the, the, the how incredibly professional they've been, but also how entertaining they've been as well. Yeah. Um, so I would say I think this, I, I do think this team is better. It feels more well rounded. It feels more solid. It doesn't necessarily feel. I mean, in the in terms of the numbers, it feels in, equally as potent. Yeah, and yeah. from the eye test of how well uh, Latoro has performed and the the partnership that he struck with Turam, um, but I think I think there's something about Osemen and and Kravatskalia last season that feels more exciting. Mm-hmm. Whereas Martinez and Turam, it's just like that. I just and that's why I don't think they're necessarily getting the credit that they deserve. Whereas last season from the wider footballing landscape Osimhen and Kravitzkelly were getting all the plaudits because it was new it was fresh and exciting whereas Inter didn't get quite that same treatment and I said it before like I just think Inter they got to the Champions League final last season I would not be surprised if they go far again this year yeah. I would not be surprised I think people are underestimating them so much and I think this Inter team will probably look back in maybe five or ten years and think this was one of the great mm-hmm. Inter sides I really do like or it's on the it's on the cusp of being that because there's players like Barella and even you can see players like Bastoni like Lautaro Martinez Martinez has not just made himself a cult hero at Inter but he's made himself a legend oh yeah you know, like yeah uh, over 100 legend. goals yeah. and for them in Serie A and all that kind of stuff whereas like there's players like Barella and Bastoni although Barella is I think considered by on that cusp of world class by many it's one of the best midfielders in the world I don't think he would necessarily get the appreciation until a couple of years' time when he reaches that Verratti sort of status, yeah, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I think Bastoni will be the same as well. Um, again, he's sort of gone up another gear this year, I feel like. Um, yeah, after no, I maybe think, did- sorry, I think, I think the team, you, you made a good point with it, much more rounded. Because I feel like with Napoli, it was... Obviously, there was a lot of incredible players last year. Last year, like Lobotka had an insane season, and Guissa was incredible. They had Kim Min yeah. Jae, but it felt like the goals were very much Osimhen and Kvaratskhelia, right? They were getting yeah. the goals. Everyone else was facilitating them getting the goals. For Inter, it feels like the goals are a bit more spread out amongst the uh, uh, around the squad. Even though Lautaro and Taram are still those focal points, you're still getting Chelonoglu with a career high in a season. I think like smashing the records for himself. You've got like the defenders popping up and getting goals. I feel like it's a bit more spread out across the squad but I yeah. do and I'm, I was trying to analyze today whether it was just romanticism and the fact that I watch into more or I'm, I'm more used to watching into that I I found the Napoli football last, last year a bit more exciting I think yeah. I found that team a little bit more exciting but I don't know how much of that is romanticism or me actually like analyzing and watching the football properly um 
Well, I think it's an interesting conversation because I think when you think back to inter teams that have dominated in the past, like when they had Mancini as manager, when they had Mourinho, when they like every year they managed to beat that Roma to the title by one point for like five years in a row or something. Yeah. Like they've done it in the past into where they dominated for periods. And it does feel like this could be the start of them dominating for a while because Milan yeah, I agree. are a bit away from challenging, I think, like consistently. Juve, we've seen, are a bit away from challenging consistently. Napoli are nowhere near it. So I think it's kind of weird to see, like, Adam, we thought Serie A was going to be super competitive and this year was going to be super competitive. But again, there's no team really close to the top team, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, what we've seen is a number of teams being... I suppose, poorer than they have been in previous seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoli, obviously, have demonstrated this season that they're the worst uh, title defenders so far. And that's been driven by a lot of external factors, it's fair to say. But then if you look at the likes of, say, Milan as well, they've been just so inconsistent with duration of the season. And they kind of demonstrated towards the latter part of last season where they were just so poor. They went on that endless run where they couldn't get by a win, for example. Mm-hmm. And then Juventus, this was supposed to be the season that was supposed to be easier for them, right? They didn't have to worry about Europe. They were going to be a lot more consolidated with the squad that they had. and um, But they still persist to have these kind of inconsistent results. And, you know, if you go by what Allegri saying, he's saying that certain players aren't playing to their kind of potential and also to his kind of directions as well. He kind of calls out Chiesa for not tracking back, for example, and not doing as he expects. He even kind of highlighted it by saying he demanded him to stay on the left-hand side, but he keeps on going in the middle. So, you know, it's these kind of frustrations that I think has really meant that with Inter and the momentum that they've created with Simeone and Zaghi and that kind of uh, style of play, they've just been able to just capitalise, I suppose, on the rest and just bombard the rest of the league. Mm -hmm. So just that quality as well. I think if you consider that when they've rotated, that's the easiest part to kind of do and like maybe take advantage because you've got players that haven't got that kind of match sharpness and they've still continued that despite that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. They're just rounding and filling up that squad really nicely. I, I was listening to... Um, an Arsenal podcast today where they were James uh, James McNicholas, who's a great um, journalist, and he was talking about how important it is to have squad players. Not every player needs to be your star player. You need to have important squad players that can come in and know that the level isn't dropping. And I feel like we've said that about Inter so many times that they've just, apart from up front, where they just need that little bit more, but Taremi is coming, right? Um, they they don't have that drop-off in level. And I think you look at this, like the starting lineup for this game, and there's still like Aslani in midfield. There's like Mkhitaryan, who isn't like starting every game. But, you know, if he eats more mozzarella, maybe you can keep going for a few more years. Um, <laughs> that was so good. I, I love that, by the way. Um, but, you know, there's just so much quality there. So I think, yeah, incredible stuff from them. Um I'm really excited to see how far this season goes for them, genuinely, because I think they could break records. And as we've said, we're kind of tipping them for to be the dark horse in the Champions League. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But we're going to leave into there with a 4-0 win. Um, for Atalanta, not really much to say. Just move on, heads down into the next game. They've got some tough fixtures coming up still, Atalanta. So they need to make sure that they continue, that they try and get back over this quickly. Their next game coming up is Bologna at home. Bloody hell, that is a tough fixture. But the other fixture on Wednesday night was 
Sassuolo 1, Napoli 6. Now, of course, the Anglo-Italian pod curse kicked in. You're welcome, uh, Patanope. I said that Napoli can't hit a bond or they can't, they can't score goals. So, of course, the next game, Osimhen hat-trick, Kvadratskelia with two and Rachmani chips in with one. Um, Sassuolo did get one. They opened the scoring even. Um, so they had him on the ropes for a minute, but it didn't last long. Um, and Napoli, just absolutely frightening. I think this was the perfect fixture for them, right? Going up against the team, rock bottom, not rock bottom, but he- quickly heading towards rock bottom yeah. uh, without a manager. They've got their under-21 caretaker manager in charge, all everything a bit lost, and Napoli just rocked up and absolutely dominated them. Yeah, I mean, that, like you said, Sassuolo took the lead. And it was a brilliant goal. Like when there was an angle of the replay where it's just that the curve starts so far from outside the post and bends back in, and it was just like, hang on a minute. But then it just it just sort of irritated Napoli a little bit because yeah. I think we've seen this with a lot of kind of teams where I mean, Napoli are in you wouldn't they're not in dire straits, but it's just like compared to last season, the the, the fall off has been huge, and they've kind of been licking their wounds for a while, waiting for Osimhen to get back to that level obviously we talked about it on Monday about some of the chances that he missed mm-hmm. um in that game and it just felt like th- like the the them going behind almost just irritated Napoli and Osimhen found his form but there was some of the goals where some of the space that he had I yeah. think it was to make it 3-1 I mean it's terrible from Sassuolo playing out from the back and they capitalize and it's a great finish to dink it over the keeper but he was just left with so much room and you know Napoli are going to lead need a lot more of this from Osimhen for the rest of the year to make their season somewhat respectable in terms of the the title challenge, but even like with the like the third and fourth goal were basically the same for Sassuolo. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That that yeah, is yeah. a team that's just playing with absolutely no confidence right now, and nothing is sort of going for them. We kind of saw that. I know, obviously, Chelsea turned it around the other night, but the goal they gifted to Leeds was in a very similar manner to a couple of the goals that Sassuolo gifted to Napoli. And if there's one striker that you probably don't want to do that to, it's Ozerman, and I think that's kind of allowed him to rediscover something. Mm. Um, at least and obviously Kravats Kelly getting in the act as well sort of with that what we were used to seeing last season yeah. uh, in terms of cutting in on the left hand side and bending it in the far corner um, but it was just every goal was so so easy for for Napoli and you know it's it's what it was a perfect sort of game for them and it was what they needed but I mean Sassuolo kind of feels like they're you know they're condemned now they to, are only going one way. There's been a few managers linked, but none of them are particularly inspiring at this point. Um, I think there's also rumours that they could just stick with the caretaker um, and just let him see out the season, but they are now level on points with Cagliari. That relegation fight is going to be so, so close. So Verona, Sassuolo, Cagliari all played the same number of games now, all on 20 points. And Frosinone, Udinese, just above them, on 23 with Lecce slowly getting roped in, but they should just have enough about them. Um, so yeah, four, five teams there battling it out for survival. But Sassuolo, this was a huge game for them. Obviously against Napoli, it was always going to be difficult, but they couldn't get the job done. But as you said, for Osman, this is just a big confidence boost for him. It maybe sticks another 10 million on the price tag that De Laurentiis can, can ask for. Everybody's happy. Um, I think De Laurentiis now is more just concerned about recouping as much of his um, investment as he can um, because obviously once somebody knows once clubs know a player wants to leave they just take 20 million off don't they they're not like yeah. but so I think for <laughs> Dilo Lentis as long as he phys- finishes the season well they'll be quite happy um, but Adam it was good to see Kvaratskhelia kind of with a bit of confidence and a bit of verve right 
Yeah, he kind of displayed it in the last match and he's followed that mm-hmm. on. I think that was the one kind of good thing about this match was probably against a team that's devoid of any confidence right now in Sassuolo. That's probably a helping, like, building ground for Calzona and in particular the way that they've gone about it. So, um, you know, I think that's just going to be breeding them confidence for that Champions League match against Barcelona um, but obviously, they've got to go through the first hurdle, which is obviously this weekend against Juventus. So um, that's going to be a spicy game, it's fair to say. And I seem to remember the last time these two met up, it ended up in a 5-1 win for Napoli. So Indeed. we will see if we will see the kind of reminiscence of that kind of performance again at the uh, Stadio uh, Diego Maradona. But um, yeah. It's a fantastic performance by uh, Napoli and their fans are purring at what could be for the rest of the season, right? Well, they're still somehow, somehow not actually out of the European fight. Um, they are on, they're only one point behind Fiorentina, um, level on points with Lazio and six points behind the Europa League spots. They're still not massively out of it. That that race for Europe is going to go right down to the very last day of the season. Uh, so, yes, yeah, still plenty to fight for for Napoli. But, guys, that is all of the Serie A action this week. We are going to take another very quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be previewing all of the weekend's action. We will see you there. My name is Massimo Morales, and you are listening to Anglo-Italian Podcast. And here we are. It is time for the weekend preview. I'm going to start in the Premier League and it starts on Saturday, three o'clock. No early kickoffs. Klopp's going to be fuming. We have Newcastle taking on Wolves in the first of the three o'clock kickoffs. That's a spicy one. Gary O'Neill, I reckon they can get a win up in the tune there. Definitely, definitely an away win, I reckon. Ben, Spurs taking on newly manager bounce Crystal Palace. Uh, Ian, one sentence, how are we feeling about this game? Mm, I don't know. It's just not great. Not great. But only because it's that new manager curse thing. It's like we've been here so many times with Spurs where realistically we should be going into this game trying to win it. Apparently no Poro for Saturday, which is a big miss. (laughs) A doggy should be back. Um, So hopefully that helps us. Richardson may be out as well, apparently. So interesting to see what we do there. But fuck it, we're going to win. Yeah, that's the spirit. Plenty of goals, I fancy, in this one. Um, Mm. We have Forrest taking on Liverpool um, in the next of the three o'clock kickoffs. Brentford hosting Chelsea. I would say that's going to be a close one, but Brentford have been absolutely toilet recently, so I just think (laughs) Chelsea are probably going to get something there. Everton taking on West Ham, Adam, in the David Moyes derby. Um, West Ham finally got a win against Brentford last week. Are they going to follow it up with another one against Everton? Well, Everton will be sort of buoyed by getting the points back as well. It feels like one of those ones where West Ham, they've sort of been that sort of team where they've obviously got a massive result on Monday against Brentford, which sort of has plunged Brentford back into it a little Mm -hmm. bit, especially with Everton getting the points back. Um, And it just sort of feels like they'll be buoyed a little bit by by that Everton. So we'll see what happens with that one. I I think it'll be, I think I could see that just being a score draw, either a boring nil-nil or I think Everton might nick it. We will see. I think, yeah, I don't know why I picked that one. Fulham, we are hosting Brighton. <laughs> as the three, another three o'clock kickoff. And then in the late game, we have Luton hosting Aston Villa. On Sunday, we've got Burnley taking on Bournemouth. And then the big game, here we go. The one we're all pretty excited about. I'm kind of vaguely getting my hopes up that the footballing gods might do something. But Man City hosting Manchester United. Um, ben, I'm going to go to you. How many are Manchester United going to lose by? 
I think the question should be how many goals do they have to lose by for Ten Hag to lose his job? Because yeah. <laughs> does it need to be another seven? I don't know. Yeah, if exactly. Counts. Can can a manager survive? I mean, Harson was it Harson who got beat nine nil twice? Yeah. Can Ten Hag survive two seven nil defeats away at City and Liverpool? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I th- yeah, I I think I think this will be pretty. It's one of those ones actually where you see it sometimes. It's almost like with when it happened to them at Anfield. You can put seven nil down as like a freak, whereas like a four yeah. nil feels like a pace in it almost yeah. in a weird way. And I could see it being like that, um, almost City toying with them a little bit, a bit like they did at Old Trafford, where it's like they could have gone for more. They could have actually City could have wiped the floor with them at Old Trafford. They beat them three nil. City didn't get Arsenal, West Ham, West Ham, Arsenal, Man United didn't get within arm's length of yeah, City, yeah. and that's almost more embarrassing, especially on your own patch. But I could see three. 3-1-4-1-4-0 kind of thing I think they'll tear them apart I really do that was more humiliating than choosing not to batter them wasn't it it was, yeah, it was it, definitely yeah, it was. more they just, humiliating they just toyed with them they just, just toyed with them oh god that was embarrassing um, yeah I think this is going to be a, a incredibly bad scoreline uh, Ten Hag having a completely normal one this week and losing his shit about um, about the Fulham TikTok laughing at Bruno Fernandes oh Eric Ten Hag got very upset because that is the most important thing on his desk at the moment apparently um, and then on Monday night we have Sheffield United hosting Arsenal I'm not saying anything because I don't want to tempt fate um, in <laughs> Serie A we are going to talk about this weekend oh, I've lost the fixtures um, it all starts on today uh, as you are listening um, Lazio hosting Milan um, a beautiful way to kick off the kick off the weekend um, Lazio kind of struggling for form a little bit they need to get themselves back into the European race um, they're struggling for consistency as always Lazio but Milan very much the same I feel like this could be a really interesting game um, I feel like Milan could possibly get a result there. I don't have much faith in Lazio at the moment. On Saturday, we have Udinese taking on Salernitana in a massive game at the bottom. Obviously, Salernitana very much lost and pretty much relegated. But Udinese, can they get a draw or can they actually win a game and try and get a little bit of space between them and the basement clubs? Later on, on the Saturday, we have Monza hosting Roma. That'll be an interesting one. Really interesting game, that. I think Roma, obviously, scoring a lot of goals at the moment, but conceding Mm. a few as well. Monza at home is tricky again, so I feel like that could have a bit of a banana skin written all over it, Um, but De Rossi absolutely loving life at the moment. And then the late game on Saturday, Torino taking on Fiorentina, two massively improving teams. Torino especially, apart from the last game against Roma, where they were quite unlucky to lose, um, they've been playing quietly very well. And I think Fiorentina, again, all about consistency. If they can get a win here in Turin, that would be a massive, massive result for them. On Sunday, two of the basement boys. This is a biggie. We've got Verona taking on Sassuolo. If you've got nothing to do on the Sunday afternoon, sit and watch this game. It's going to be chaos. Neither team can defend. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens in this one. Um, Adam, Verona versus Sassuolo. This is massive. This is a huge game and this is not the only six-pointer this weekend either. But yeah, I, I'm sceptical if they can both attack, but I would say I <laughs> probably edge it in terms of a favour for Hellas Verona because I think they've got more attacking players, more players willing to score goals at the moment. But I suppose one thing to caveat is um, Domenico Berardi. He was on the bench for Sassuolo. 
midweek against Napoli. Could this be a sign that he's coming back into the squad? Let's wait and see. But yeah, that's promising for their kind of hopes to stay up. Right, Rory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that would be absolutely huge for them. Next, we have Frosinone taking on Lecce. Two teams desperately trying to not get involved in the relegation battle. Frosinone kind of involved now. Lecce just one point ahead. That is going to be an absolute... Again, Adam, how do you see this one going? Frosinone at home conceding a lot of goals. Lecce don't really <clears throat> score many, but tend to not concede that many. No, true. Uh, I think I favour Frosinone because just because of the endeavour that they displayed in the last match against Juventus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Frosinone have got some really good players, technical players like Sule, Mazzella and Brecciani, who scored that mm-hmm. fantastic goal against Juventus. So, I, I sort of favour them. However, they have got a kind of moment in them at the back as well. And, you know, with Calgary, they seem to have a lot of fight. They might not necessarily have a lot of quality in their squads, with the exceptions of the likes of Gaetano, for example, and Mvumbu, for example. Um, but yeah, it could go either way. I, I think it's going to be a point shared, personally. I think this is where it's going to go. It might be a two-all kind of style game, but... Yeah, I I think for quality wise, I think Frosinone have it in them to win this match. But you know, don't write off Calgary. That's all I would say. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Empoli taking on Cagliari. Then we have Atalanta taking on Bologna, six o'clock Ooh. on Sunday Italian time. And then it's the big one: Napoli taking on Juventus. All things falling apart at Juve. Another day. Another comment in the press from Allegri slagging off Chiesa. And it looks like Chiesa is definitely out the door. All the noises that he's going to be sold this summer. I think there's plenty of teams that are going to be lining up for him. If he can stay fit, I would take him at Arsenal tomorrow. I reckon you could get him for about 60 million. I think that would be all right. Um, Napoli, Juve. Ben, how are you feeling about this one? Free score in Napoli. They have to win it, right? Yeah, they've got to. Like we were sort of saying before, it feels like they've got to try and find a way to resurrect their season somehow. And I think mm. Sassuolo have kind of given them the opportunity to get Osimhen back up to sort of mm. match sharpness and scoring goals and having that hunger and that confidence. So I think Juventus should probably be quite worried because it's one of those ones where there's probably, although Uwe doesn't feel great at the moment, it's probably they're looking at that thinking, well, Napoli have had a poor season. We should yeah. be able to go there and get a result. But I think they, they, they do well not to underestimate Napoli at the weekend. I think they might have a little bit of fire in their belly after that especially with having Osman back. Well, exactly, yeah. And like, Adam, as you said, last year, this was like a very, very, very scarring moment for Juve. <laughs> Do you think they'll have revenge in their mind and they might be uh, pushing a little bit harder? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's a hard one to kind of measure because I think, yeah, the kind of revival of Napoli of late is going to potentially be something that Allegri will be wary of. Um, but I think given the kind of form that Juventus are in they'll uh, just want to concentrate on just winning the game itself rather than uh, have the revenge element I think it's too much to kind of think back that far but again this this feels like it could be a draw again Uh, I just I can see it being everyone cancels each other out they're both defensively solid when they want to be and I'd say probably Juventus more so than Napoli so mm-hmm. it'd be just a question of can Juventus exploit Napoli on the counter-attack for example 
We haven't seen the best of Kostic, for example. So are they going to be mm-hmm. playing a lot more centrally? Are they going to try and dominate play in the middle of the park? And we know the last time they tried to do that, Napoli were the better side. So I, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily feel that that's going to happen because Napoli aren't the kind of same kind of swagger as they had last season when they were winning 5-1 one against Juventus. But you never know. Zielinski hasn't really played that often in the league. So again, this could be the introduction that uh, Napoli need for this game. Well, we will see. I'm excited for it. What a beautiful Sunday evening that is going to be. And then on mm. Monday evening, we have Inter taking on Genoa. Inter are going to score four goals. We know that will happen. <laughs> That's what happens. Um, so, guys, that is the end of the weekend preview. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Ben's going to play his first game of Tiki Taka Toe. Let's do it. Here we go. Welcome back. It's time for this week's edition of the Tiki Taka Toe Quiz. And this time it is myself going up against Ben in his first game in the Tiki Taka Toe. Now, if you are not watching online, I will describe the square to you. We have along the top Fulham, Liverpool and Wolves. And along the side, we have Ireland, Newcastle and Argentina. Lots to think about. Now, Ben, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, Pick your square and give us the player. Right. Well, the tactic I feel like with this is always go for the middle, mm-hmm. but there's some quite hard ones on here that I feel like I kind of want to get out of the way just in case you get them. But I'm going to take that chance and we're going to go with Andy Carroll for the middle square of Newcastle Liverpool. Andy Carroll. Good work. There yeah. he is. Beautiful. Okay, Andy Carroll. Now, I'm absolutely bricking it about that Wolves and Argentina square because I cannot (laughs) think of a single one. Um, So, I'm going to block off with... Oh, God, I can't even think of Wolves and Newcastle at the minute. So, I'm going to go Fulham and Newcastle and I'm going to say Mitrovic. What a player. Okay. I'm going to... That Fulham Island one is... I thought I had a really good one, then I realised I would actually piss a lot of people off if I said who I thought it was. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued. Uh, I won't. Uh, yeah. Well, if if it comes to it, I'll say who it was. Uh, I think that I think it would be wrong. Um, so I'm going to go with Wolves uh, Island, and I'm going to go Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty. Yeah, that means I've got to think of an Argentinian who played for Fulham, and now I'm in trouble. Argentinian who play for Fulham. Um, now, a Facundo is coming into mind for Facundo of Fulham. Facundo is a very Argentinian name, but it's not. I can't think of the surname. Uh, balls. I'm going to go for Fulham and Ireland and just go for Damien Duff. Yeah, that literally just popped into my head. I was thinking... I was. I'm glad I can say this now. I was going to say Chris Baird, and then I realised that he was Northern Irish. I think <laughs> close. He's from Northern Ireland. Yeah. yeah so I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, that's a really good one. And then I was like, forgetting the most obvious one, and it was like, if I'd have said Chris Baird, uh, luckily I, I, I loved sort, it. Yeah. Luckily, I sort of <laughs> I checked myself pretty quickly. Um, I'm going to have to gamble on the fact that you haven't got a Fulham Argentina player because I cannot think of one so in my life. Uh, so I'm going to go with. Liverpool, Argentina, and go for Maxi Rodriguez. Oh, Max. Is that wrong? Rodriguez. 
Very nice work. Now, Liverpool Island is going to be pretty simple, I think, as I say that and now panic that I can't think of one. But, um, yeah, I'm just going to have to block you off, aren't I? So I'm going to do Liverpool and Ireland to do Steve Finnan. That was mine as well. Then I had a prang of like... is he Irish? <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, I have to remind myself if you played yeah. for Ireland or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there has what? to be a Fulham Argentina player. There. No, there is, but I can't think of his fucking second name. I can't think I of I feel like name. it must have been like when, oh, I think I've got it. Right. Uh, Paolo Gazaniga. Gazaniga. Nice. Absolutely fantastic work. Come I on. need to search who this Facundo was because it's going to drive me mad. Facundo. <laughs> oh, God. Player in like the 2000s? Facundo Sava? Oh, Facundo Sava. That was his name. <laughs> that is a great. F- you probably deserve it for that shout because it was literally just like Gazaniga just popped into my head. Whereas like you had an idea of who you wanted to say the whole time <laughs> and you just couldn't remember the name. Whereas like Gazaniga was just a light bulb moment that came to me. So I feel like they, they all take- count. Whether yeah. it's tapped in off the line, bounces in off your ass, they all count. Yeah. They all count. There's no pictures on a scorecard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, congratulations, Ben. My losing streak continues. I really need to turn this turn this franchise around. I'm not doing well at all. Um, but guys, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ben, for joining us. We hope you we hope you enjoyed yourself and we can have you on for more it. Thursdays, hopefully. Um yeah, Adam. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> I've been on many virtual bus stops. That's all I can say. Um, this has been the most craziest podcast that I've never had to actually contribute on. So um, thank you for having me on, Rory. Uh, your rivers in spirit is fine. Yeah. Your rivers in spirit. <laughs> well, guys, thank you for joining. Oh, Ben's camera's gone. Um, and as always, you can find us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram and TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. Make sure to hit the like and subscribe buttons down here somewhere. Um, and you can join us on Monday at half past eight GMT when we wrap up all of the weekend's action in Serie A and the Premier League over on YouTube. So make sure to join us for that. Get involved in the chat. Guys, anything to say before I let these people enjoy their weekends? No, have a great weekend. Yeah, have a great weekend. I can't wait to talk about Man City thrashing Man United on Monday. I'm looking looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, So, guys, we are going to leave you with our quote of the week, and it comes from Davide Fratesi, who simply says, you can't enter San Siro without blood in your eyes. With the energy that the stadium gives you, you can break walls with your head. Grazie, guys. We will see you on Monday. Ciao. Adosso. Podcast Network.